Hi, everyone. Welcome to Be Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. Well, we all heard news um, that Biogen um, is uh, looking into relaunching a phase three clinical trial of the drug aducanumab. Um, and that came as a surprise to everyone after the phase three trial was canceled. Um, so we thought today we'd take a deeper dive into the topic um, of Biogen's drug and who better to do so than um, Sharon Cohen. She is the director of the Toronto Memory Program. They've actually run um, the phase three trial, uh, the one that was canceled. Um, and she's a clinician and neuroscientist who can translate a lot of this information for us. So Sharon, thanks so much for joining us. Such a pleasure, Deborah. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with the very, very basics. Um, you know, we've talked to people about aducanumab who have been in that trial who actually felt like it was helping them. Um, what is the drug do? Um, what What are we trying? I mean, what is what is the dr drug um, presumed to potentially do to slow down the pro progression of Alzheimer's disease? Aducanumab is an antibody and we give it by an intravenous infusion. And what this antibody does is it gets into the brain and it binds to a toxic protein called amyloid. Amyloid is a necessary part in the development of Alzheimer's. So it's, it's bad for brain cells, it harms them, it triggers other proteins like tau. And whether amyloid is the very first step, it's certainly an early step. So even people who have very mild cognitive impairment are still functioning very well, will have quite a bit of amyloid in the brain. Aducanumab draws amyloid out, and we know it does that. So the phase three study wasn't to test whether we could draw amyloid out. What the phase three study was about was to see whether we could slow down the disease in people who were having amyloid removed. And, and so, sorry, we call that that kind of drug a disease-modifying drug, as opposed to a drug that just treats symptoms. So if you have a brain tumor and you've got a headache, you take Tylenol, that treats the symptom, but you're gonna need something more substantial for that tumor than treating symptoms to get rid of it. And so with Alzheimer's, we need to slow down or finally be able to arrest or reverse the disease. So isn't it true, though, that we don't really understand exactly, I mean, we know that people who, um, we can see on scans, on PET scans, or um, getting by getting spinal taps, that there is the presence of plaque in the brain. But the way that I've always understood it is we don't know exactly whether a little bit of plaque, a lot of plaque, um, how that relates, and if what happens if we take away all of the plaque. Is, is that true? So with aducanumab, this was the first drug a few years back that was shown to be able to completely clear plaque seen on a PET scan. Now, not all amyloid is in this plaque form. There can be amyloid molecules that are dissolved in the brain and haven't come out in the plaque. So the PET scan just shows the plaque form of amyloid. But what aducanumab does is not just clear plaque, but clear some of these earlier other forms of amyloid that might actually be even more toxic to the brain. So you're right, we don't know how early or how much amyloid we need to remove, 
But now that we've got a drug like aducanumab that can substantially remove amyloid, if amyloid is really driving the disease and worsening the disease, causing it to progress, then the phase three experiment is to say, okay, we've got a drug to clear it. Are people doing better with less amyloid in the brain? And so, so that, if, if we do have less amyloid, does that mean it will not progress into tau tangles? Tau tangles comes after the amyloid, is that correct? Right, so amyloid accumulates early. We see it accumulating on a PET scan, let's say even 15 to 20 years before people develop symptoms. Now tau comes later and is probably triggered in part by the burden of amyloid in the brain. Um, and maybe five years before symptoms, tau starts spreading in the brain. It continues to spread, tau, and it tracks better with symptoms. So if you, if you can interfere at the amyloid stage in such a way that tau is also impacted, then you may have a real benefit on the disease progression. And we know it's a complicated disease. So we talk about amyloid as being early and important. We talk about tau correlating with patient symptoms and how they're functioning. And then people are talking about inflammation and other mechanisms. So I think in a complex disease, yes, we have to keep our minds open that it's not all amyloid. But amyloid doesn't have to be the only aspect of Alzheimer's um, uh, pathology. It just needs to be an important player. And if we can target that, we can maybe dial down some of the serious progression of the disease. So why not, like, let's say, you know, there comes, I mean, we know that we're progressing with diagnosis, whether it be blood testing or whatever means. Um, and what if we, would we, would a drug like aducanumab be used potentially, um, if, if it's proven that it can actually break down those plaques, I mean, could we, could we take it as a prevention? Well, that would be the next step. So if we uh, are satisfied that the phase three studies, now that we have the full data set, that at least in the, the eMERGE study, we see that disease is slowed by amyloid clearing and tau is also lessened, which is what we see in the phase three data that was so complicated and presented at CTAD. Uh, then, and, and those, those phase three studies were in people who were mildly symptomatic. They either had mild cognitive impairment, thought related to the Alzheimer's process because they had plaque, amyloid plaque in the brain, or they had mild Alzheimer's disease dementia, but we're still functioning pretty well. So then the next study would be a prevention study taking healthy people who maybe have the beginnings of amyloid or maybe no, no amyloid and trying to keep them healthy. So that, that study hasn't been done, but that would be a next step. Okay. And we're getting some questions in right now. Um, one saying, is amyloid in some way good for brain cleansing? The answer is no. <laughs> it does not we need to clear it from the brain. In fact, the brain has some of its own mechanisms to clear amyloid. Uh, in deep sleep, channels open up in the brain and clear some of the amyloid. But in a disease like Alzheimer's disease, we either have overproduction that overwhelms the amount we can clear, or we have problems with the clearance mechanism. So it builds up and it injures brain cells. So no, amyloid is not a good thing. Okay, so, you know, you, um, Sharon, had, you were conducting the phase three um, Biogen's um, trial before it was canceled. Oh. Um, you know, I have to ask you, did, did you see signs that the drug was working um, within your patients? So we felt our patients were doing well overall, and our patients were happy with how they were doing, and their families. Um, 
we're just one site out of what 20 sites around the world and so we have a small sample size you know we we have the the largest number uh for a site in canada we had 28 patients um but we didn't want to overcall our anecdotal experience but yes we were encouraged that people thought they were doing well and when people had to come off the drug that was a shock to everybody because you know, safety was acceptable. People thought they were doing well. And we at all as a scientific community really thought this might be the drug to cross the finish line. So that was disappointing. And then when the larger data set was announced and the drug seemed to be helpful, all of our patients who we contacted said, we want to come back. We want to go back on the drug. So that's a testament to how people were feeling they were doing. Okay, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. But I, you know, I have to admit, I've read a lot about the study and the trial and everything, and I'm still not clear on the data question. So sure. why, why was it deemed that the data wasn't trustworthy, and therefore the phase three trial canceled? And yet now, and what did the new set of data really tell us to say, oh, wait a second, there is a reason to, you know, relaunch this trial? Sure, yeah, that, that was baffling to many. So in the phase three studies, there were two identical studies, which is a typical way of doing phase three trials. You have two identical protocols. And there was a pre-planned, built-in futility analysis. And that is a usual way of running a trial so that at some interim point before the end of a trial, you look at your data, you have a committee that looks at the data and says, what's the likelihood that if we continue to run this study to completion, which is 78 weeks of treatment, that the study will be positive? And is, if the chance that the study is gonna be positive is estimated to be low, then a sponsor like Biogen might say, that's not worth the investment, it's not worth it to patients to keep them in a study where there's a low chance we'll be successful. And futility analyses can be can end up being right or can be wrong. So they are a guess at what the final data will show. The Biogen futility analysis was conducted on 50% of the data, just 50%, and there were amendments or changes in the protocol that really affected what the final data looked like. So the final data had the benefit of several more months of people being treated. And the amendments that I'm talking about, the change in the protocol during that time, allowed people to go to higher doses of the, of the study drug, vaticanumab. And, and why did that happen? And, and some of, some of uh, the audience may remember Samantha Bud Haberlein saying, I don't recommend changing your dose midway through a study. Nevertheless, that's what we did. Biogen always believed the high dose was the right dose but they didn't start their phase three study with the high dose in everybody, the 10 milligram per kilogram dose per month, because they had to balance the concern about safety, about the high dose maybe causing some brain swelling. As the phase three program progressed, there was more and more data from the continuing phase 1b study to say, yes, it was safe to push the dose up. So Biogen then amended the protocol, allowed people to go to a higher dose, and it was in this phase three uh, final data set for one of the studies anyway, the study called Emerge, that showed that the study was positive, met its outcome measures on all of its outcomes. So primary outcomes, the cognitive one, secondary outcomes, and the biomarkers. So amyloid was getting 
uh, you know, was reducing, tau was doing better, patients were functioning better than those who were in the placebo arm. So it was a clearly positive study that the futility analysis failed to predict. So it was very confusing. So on with the, the larger um, amount of data and more patients being able to reach the higher dose for longer, they were doing well. Okay, so we, we have a question from someone who obviously was in um, the Biogen um, study, and he is asking, he says, the engaged track in the higher protocol version four dose performed as the eMERGE track. Was, yes. was protocol version five and six higher dose to perform well in eMERGE? Uh, or, or was protocol version five and six higher? Yeah, I, I that's kind of technical for the rest of us, but I'm, I take it you're gonna understand that. <laughs> So it was actually protocol version three and four. And um, because the engaged study started enrolling earlier, it didn't have as many people who were able to benefit from the amendments three and four and go to the higher dose. So the overall engaged study didn't show this same positive result that engaged it. So more of the patients in the engaged study, because of the timing of the amendments, were able to get to that top dose. When we look at the engaged study, the study that wasn't positive, but the subgroup of patients who actually got to the top dose, they did look just like the eMERGE study. They benefited. So again, right. this, this supports the idea that dose matters that the highest dose is the right dose. What Biogen wanted to do initially, you know, believe in the 10 milligram per kilogram dose was the right thing. So we've got the eMERGE study positive and the engaged participants who were at the highest dose also showing that similar benefit. Okay, and you know, we have a, another viewer who's asking a question which is a completely relevant and important question. And she says, how do folks like me living in rural America ever get um, use of these trial drugs? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. So being part of a trial uh, and then later accessing an approved drug, those are both important considerations. So, um, you know, clinical trials are often conducted at research sites that are not in rural settings. So there's travel involved for people to be a study participant. That travel, we try very hard to get the sponsor of a trial like Biogen to allow people to travel uh, and, and to cover their costs so that they can participate. We're, we're wanting to be agnostic as, par, as far as, you know, inviting everybody into a trial. Um, if a drug like aducanumab is approved, there will be certain things that make it challenging for rural populations versus urban populations because you will need to access MRI scans and other uh, uh, technology. It'll become a lot easier when we have blood tests and yeah. then, you know we won't be seeing this division between urban and rural communities having access. Um, it's a very good question, and and you know, enabling people to get you get to take advantage of approved drugs is a conversation we need to continue to have. And you know, when when Biogen just because Biogen is submitting the dossier to the FDA or Health Canada, it doesn't mean the marketplace is ready. If we had the drug approved tomorrow, we we'd still need a whole system change to make sure people who can benefit from the drug can access it. So, it's a great question. We need to work on it. 
Okay, so what does this mean though to people who were okay? Now we're we, you know, people have now been taken off. They were once in the study and they were taken off the drug, and it's now been you know at least a half a year since they haven't been taking aducanumab. What does it mean for the people who participated in the trial? And what does it mean going forward to people who want to get into this trial? How long will they have to wait? Right. Okay. So people who have already participated will be invited back. And we're hoping around February, individuals will be able to come back whether or not they were on the active drug or placebo and whether or not they've stayed stable or declined in their disease since they've stopped the drug, as you say, several months ago, they will all be allowed to go in what we call an open label extension, receiving the active drug, aducanumab, no chance of placebo, and they will continue that for what is now thought in terms of a two-year study. So that will bridge the gap between the drug, if it's approved, coming to the market and being available, uh, and the time period from them you know, uh, uh, having come off the drug. For the rest of us who haven't been in one of these aducanumab studies, we are thinking that the FDA will give fast-track review, and Health Canada as well, a fast-track review of the aducanumab submission. That would mean about seven months worth of mulling over documents and making a decision. If Biogen submits in early 2020 to the health regulators, which is what they say they're planning to do right now, they're preparing to submit, and they've already had conversations with the FDA. Um, then, then, you know, February plus seven months, we're looking at the fall of 2020. So that comes around pretty quickly, but of course, never fast enough for those of us who are eager to, to have access to the drug. And, and will these studies take into account a higher dose because they found the higher dose it, was more effective? Yeah, absolutely. So it will be the 10 milligram per kilogram dose that will be the ideal dose. And what, uh, so we're thinking that the indication if aducanumab is approved would be for people at this very early symptomatic stage, mild cognitive impairment or mild Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, and able to receive the highest dose of that cannabis. So, so now that you have a cohort who is on the drug, taken off the drug, will there be measurement of whether there was an accumulation of amyloid during the period of time they went off the drug? Yes. So they will. So the people coming back will have PET scans to see whether amyloid has reaccumulated. But they won't. These individuals won't be barred from joining the redosing study. So no matter what level the amyloid plaque is at in the brain, individuals will be able to go on the open label, which is great because, you know, as a site investigator, I always feel it's my obligation and a pleasure to, to advocate for my patients. And, you know, these are the people who have moved this drug along, given us the data that's, you know, shown to be exciting and let's make sure they have active drug and not be excluded from joining a redosing study because, they had this much plaque and not that much, or this test score and not that test score. So yes, that, that won't bar them, but we will be looking at that. It'll be interesting. What we've seen with some other not anti-amyloid programs is that, uh, and I'm thinking here of a, a drug called ESI Band 2401, um, individuals who were in the phase two study and had amyloid cleared 
have come back into an open label extension and over the several months they've been off drug, um, what we're learning is that they've maintained this clearance of amyloid. So they, they, um, the benefit seems to persist for a while. So it'll be interesting to learn with aducanumab what the reaccumulation rate is. You seem, um, Sharon, quite optimistic that this drug is coming back um, to trial. What would it mean if it's actually like in terms of looking at the spectrum of looking for a treatment and cure for Alzheimer's disease, if this is proven effective, what would this mean for um, moving us closer to a cure? It would be a game changer, not because it itself is a cure, but it would be the start of disease modifying treatments for Alzheimer's. It would be the first. And we know that once we get a foothold like that, then we get a second and a third disease modifying drug. We see this in every area of medicine. You know, it took us 20 years or more to have a disease, the first disease modifying drug in multiple sclerosis. And now we've got a dozen or so. Um, and drugs start to, to, to build on what was before and they're a little bit better and a little bit safer. And not all of them need to be anti-amyloid. So if we've got an anti-amyloid drug that slows disease by, let's say, 30%, and then you add an anti-tau drug to that, and you get another 30% disease slowing, holy cow, we're slowing disease by 60%. And if you get another drug that you know tackles inflammation. So it gives us an opportunity to build this cocktail that we're going to need with a complicated disease like Alzheimer's disease. And, and it gives a huge opportunity to reorganize our healthcare system as well so people can be diagnosed accurately and early on with a sense of hopefulness rather than why bother and don't worry about your memory and there's nothing you can do. People deserve to know, are their memory symptoms however mild due to amyloid accumulating and maybe the underlying Alzheimer's or not? So right now I would say we're not in a good state in our healthcare system. We have more knowledge than we share with people. We have more technology than we allow people access to because it's been, you know, sort of uh, cumbersome and maybe not cost effective. But holy cow, if we can slow down disease, that in my mind is cost effective. If we can keep people in the workplace, that matters a lot, not just to patients and families, but it saves the healthcare system money too. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon, what are the risks to taking aducanumab? I mean, are there side effects? Is there a danger? Like, what, what do we know about it so far? So the, the side effect that has been feared is the risk of brain swelling. We call this aria. Uh, and there's also something called aria-H, which is little micro hemorrhages. So that sounds terrifying. And this is one reason why um, a company like Biogen has been very slow to escalate the dose. But it turns out that aria, this side effect of brain swelling or microbleeds, is very manageable, can be mitigated by titrating up to the higher dose rather than just going boom right to the high dose. Uh, and that the vast majority of people who have aria show this on an MRI but have no symptoms at all. So, and, and the aria goes away, it resolves over time. So we've become not flippant about it or blasé, but we know that this is something to monitor, to expect, it will resolve. It doesn't mean you have to drop out of either the study or a treatment if the drug's approved. And so we're a lot more comfortable, those of us who have been involved in these studies, we're a lot more comfortable with the idea that yes, we may see ARIA and that's okay. That doesn't mean 
that the drug's not working or it's too dangerous, we just keep going. So, and we, we're getting another question in, which is a good one. Um, this viewer is asking, what about Alzheimer's patients who are seriously symptomatic, who've had this disease for almost 10 years? Do, will the, the medication actually help um, people who are further down, uh, uh, you know, further progressed? Yeah, we don't know the answer to that. It may be that in more symptomatic stages of Alzheimer's, amyloid is no longer driving symptoms. It may be that at that stage you need an anti-tau drug or a combination of other drugs. Whether anti-amyloid drugs will play a role in later stages of disease, we just don't know. Um, we feel more confident that in earlier stages tackling amyloid makes sense. So it's a great question and I think the answer is, is unknown at this point. Okay, well, Sharon, thank you. And, you know, I think the scientific community is becoming more, agreeing more that the cure for Alzheimer's might not just be one magic pill, but rather um, an assortment of drugs, like much like what happened with HIV. So, you, you know, your point, right? You're, I guess you agree with that as well. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And I should say for the last... Uh, the person asking the question that even though aducanumab might not be the right drug for someone in more moderate stage of Alzheimer's disease, I think that having aducanumab come to the market, if it does, will still make things better for people with later stage disease because the healthcare system will be better organized and it will, it will allow for the next generation of treatments to come faster. Sharon Cohen, thank you so much um, for joining us. I, I, this certainly was the clearest explanation I have gotten on aducanumab, and we really appreciate your time. Um, I know that there, there may be more questions um, coming after this talk, um, and we'll pass them along if so. Um, if you missed any of this talk, you can uh, view it on beingpatient.com. We always repost these talks um, for people who want to view them on demand. But Sharon, thank you so much for your time. And and a very clear ex explanation. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. And I'm open to questions later on as well. Take Great. care. We'll send them on. Thank you so much. Bye now.